Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 103 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. This episode is brought to you thanks to our sponsor, Connected Data. Learn more about their product, Transporter, a private off-cloud storage device at filetransporter.com slash KMR. In our last episode, we covered summer vacation technology and got a great response to that topic. We're back to work in this episode and we'll cover a new development in the way we are likely to be buying software in the near future. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, Dennis, we will discuss the new trend of software by subscription. Uh, In our second segment, we'll take a look at backing up all of your Google activities with Google Takeout. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that's uh, the idea of subscribing to the software that you use. For For a couple of years now, we have started to see companies begin to offer subscription-based plans instead of flat rates for internet services, for software. Uh, but uh, you know, only recently have we been seeing the same thing with some of the major software developers. They're really starting to take a look at some of the models that uh, some of these internet services have been, have been providing. Uh, Dennis, you want to uh, start with the announcement by Adobe that got us thinking about this topic? Yeah, it's the Adobe Creative Cloud. And, and so... Big announcement from Adobe, and they had a product called the Creative Suite, which pulled in a lot of their web design of photography, uh, media, you know, those those types of software into to one suite. It's pretty popular and pretty commonly used. And so the the notion here is they they said that fairly short order they're going to make this uh, these the software available on a subscription model. So rather than the, the traditional perpetual license where you bought a version and you paid a certain amount for it, um, in the case of the Creative Suite, that's a fairly significant amount, that you would just pay a, about $50 per month per user and you would subscribe to the software and, and then be able to, uh, you know, as it was updated, you would get the, the subscription Approach the big news in that was that the Photoshop also becomes uh, you know available under that subscription model, and that's where I think you you start to hear a a lot of discussion, let's say about about this approach. But sort of a, that's that's the big one that I think really got people thinking about this. Well, and you know I I, I had to look at it, and we're going to talk about Microsoft in just a little bit, and I'm I'm really been comparing this most recent announcement by Adobe to what, what Microsoft has done in the past couple of months with Office 365. And um, when you consider that, I think that, that Adobe's offering is kind of expensive and it's kind of you know, resulted in some, in some backlash against it. But frankly, when you consider what you're getting for the price, I think it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, for, for that monthly flat $50, there's, there's a number of different levels, but for our purposes, we're really just going to talk about, I'm just going to talk about two levels. Um, but but for that monthly flat fee, you can download 
up to 20 pieces of software. I mean, 20 different titles for $50 a month for that full service. And that's, that's $600 a year. It can seem like a lot of money, but when you say that, you know, I'm going to download 20 pieces of software that, you know, that would cost you upwards of four or $5,000 to buy that software on a regular basis. But you know, the, I guess the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at the different software pieces that are available, it's, it's unlikely that lawyers are going to use more than, than three or four and probably will only use maybe one or two, like Adobe Acrobat and, and Photoshop maybe. But, but for those who do more creative work, having Photoshop, which can run pretty expensive, uh, you know, as Adobe Illustrator, uh, InDesign, which I've used quite a bit in the past, Dreamweaver. There's a few others that I think are really pretty awesome and, and being able to have it. I, I personally don't have a need right now for anything other than Acrobat. I don't really have a need for, for, for Photoshop. And so, and, and even just subscribing to Photoshop and, and Acrobat for 50 bucks a month seems a little high for me, but they have another rate that, that is maybe still a little high, but it's something that's more manageable. And, and there's a, you can actually buy, buy a subscription to one application for 20 bucks a month. And, and so I'm paying 20 bucks a month for Acrobat Professional. I'm trying it out. I pay, I think I have to enter into it. I think I'm in a contract. I can't remember. They're, they're, they're billing me by the month. But uh, I tend to upgrade to the latest version of Acrobat every year. And upgrades usually run about $199. So I'm paying a little bit more. I'm paying $240 a year, obviously, if I'm paying $20 a month. So I, I'm paying a little bit more for the subscription, but I don't know that it bothers me that much. And, and, and we'll talk about sort of the advantages the advantages to doing that and, and why I might do it over upgrading with the regular software model. But, you know, Dennis, I, I, since that announcement came out, you know, what's, what's your understanding been kind of of the reaction that, that we've seen to that? In a way, it seems a little bit subdued. I think there was a lot of reaction at the beginning, but I haven't heard a lot. And I, I think you were, you were mentioning that there's a uh, was it change? I forget what it is. Change.org, but wherever they have the change. Yeah, where they yeah. have the petitions about this. That uh, I mean, there's. It sounded like there was some significant dissatisfaction, but it it seems like maybe it's tapered off, or it's not as much as say compared to some other things that got people unhappy. Well, I think you're right. I yeah, you know, I was. We were talking before the recording of the podcast that uh, that there are probably. Five times more people unhappy that Google Reader is going away than are unhappy about Adobe Creative Cloud. And I was looking at some of the numbers, and and frankly, Creative Cloud's been out for a while. The, the major announcement by Adobe was in the past couple of months, but the Creative Cloud's been out for a while now. And there's actually more than a half million people who have signed up for the product, and, and Adobe's projecting that they're going to get more than double that by the end of the year. So a million people signed up to the subscription service is really not, you know, I think anything to sneeze at. And, and although a lot of people have complained, I really think that it's, I, I, I think it is tapering off. I, I, but, but then again, I, I did see a survey online at CNET where 76% said that they would always stick with regular software and never move to creative cloud, which I think is maybe a knee jerk approach, maybe a knee jerk reaction. Um, I, I think maybe it's a reasonable position to take for a couple of years. But uh, after that, I, I think you're going to be wanting to upgrade to the newest version because I'm, I'm fully expecting that even though Adobe says that their regular software will continue to be available, there's going to come a time where they're going to stop supporting that in the same way that they support Creative Cloud. And, and I think that they frankly can, can be more flexible with Creative Cloud and how often they update it and provide new features and roll things out to people. And so I, I worry about the people who are going to stick with their software and where they're going to be three years from now with the uh, 
where I think this is going. Yeah, I think it's a case of where you may say, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the versions I have. I'm going to, you know, stay with the old model. But if the, if the vendor is moving you into that new model and that, that's where the, you know, all their effort is, is devoted. Um, especially if they would do a thing where that subscription model ha- is the newer version for all practical purposes, then then I think that that makes your the stand you think you're taking not look maybe like it's the best thing to do. So it's difficult to know where that's going to go. I mean, it does seem like it's moving in the same direction as the sort of software as a service where. I would expect to see if I'm on that, or my expectations, if I'm on that subscription model, I would expect to see new features and updates and stuff happening on a regular basis. And then I would think if I was back in the old model, that maybe once a year, every or every couple of years, I'm going to get sort of like a new version that I'll have the chance to upgrade to and, and pay probably what will be a, a, you know something similar type of upgrade. I think that would be one of the, the benefits. Tom, maybe we should talk about, I'm not sure how many lawyers are, are going to be using this, the creative cloud for those apps, but I think the, the other sort of big development in this area and something that more lawyers are thinking about is, is, is Microsoft's Office 365, which is an, an, an sort of another uh, set amount per user per month for, uh, for software that's available on the internet and, and also on your, your desktop. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. And I, and I really think that, one, it's, it's something more relevant to lawyers. But two, I think that they've also hit on a, at least a more realistic pricing model for really any consumer that wants to look at it. And, and that's, it's, a, it's basically $100 a year and you get access to the full suite of Microsoft Office tools. And it, well, I, I'll say maybe not the full suite, but you get access to just about everything that's, that's worth having. You get Word and PowerPoint and Excel and Outlook and um, a couple of other programs. You may not get all 10 or 12 that are part of the, the current Office suite, but you get it all. You get, you know, Creative Cloud is the same as, as the new Office 365. You get a certain amount of storage that you can store information in. Um, Windows SkyDrive becomes an automatic saving location if you want to save documents there. Uh, I've, I've been using, I've moved everything to, to Office 365. I'm now using Office thir- uh, 2013. It's a great product. Um, I really, really enjoy using it. I've noticed that since I've had it, the software has updated automatically, and it au- automatically updates. It's not anything I have to, to do. It's kind of like those of you who use the Chrome browser. You'll just start it up, and all of a sudden, you got a new browser with some new features. That happened to me, actually, this morning. But it's the same with Office. I've noticed that there have been some updates, nothing startling. They haven't really changed a lot in the past couple of months. But like you say, Dennis, what we're going to see now is we're going to see companies start to move to be more agile at changing their product, more like the software as a service, where Microsoft is evolving and, 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 and moving their development teams from uh, product turnaround from the years to the months and even sometimes the weeks of actually pushing out new developments, new features, new updates, those types of things. I really like how this happens to be going as far as Microsoft's concerned. And frankly, for a hundred bucks a year to have the most recent version of Microsoft Office, I think that's pretty much a bargain for as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting approach. And, and like you said, it seems like there's uh, a lot more interest or Maybe a lot less resistance than I would have expected. 
I, I by comparison, I, I, I had the experience for, I don't know, five or six years, uh, when I, I was doing more, when I was actually doing consulting, uh, so before my, my current job that I was, uh, part of the, I forget what it was, sort of like Microsoft, some sort of Microsoft partner program, but the, the key to it was it didn't take a whole lot to qualify for for this partner. So basically, if you were a consultant, you you could qualify at least in in the early days of it. Now it's harder to do that, but for a certain amount, which was about like either two or three hundred dollars a year, you could as a subscription, you would get licenses to like ten ver, you know, ten licenses of Windows, ten licenses of the full version of Office, and then basically all the software that Microsoft put out in that year. So the idea was, of course, that if you were consulting with people about Microsoft, you would want to have access to all the software and use it, have people in your organization use it and also be able to to allow, you know, potential customers to use it. So that's the theory of it. For me, I was just using it as as a way to to get the most current version of, of all the Microsoft programs I wanted on on the various computers that I that I had. Um, which is why I'm no longer in that program and they changed you know they changed the qualification for it. Uh, but it was I, I kind of liked that approach because then I didn't have to get a because the stuff got sent to you and I didn't have to you know, like I do now, say, oh, I need to go to a new version and I need to either go out and buy that or download it or figure out a good time to do that and becomes another thing I don't get around to, which is why I sort of like the the uh, software as a service thing where those, those updates just happen without me having to do anything. So I think that I had some experience on the subscription side. I mean, the downside of the subscription is once you stop paying the subscription, you have to uninstall all the software and figure out something new to do. So you might have to buy new licenses. So you kind of need to think it through. But I, I like the, I grew to like the uh, subscription approach uh, while I was doing that for a, you know, for a number of reasons. Now, tell me, are there other examples that that you found out there that that maybe illustrate this subscription approach? Well, I mean, I think in terms of downloading, and we have to, you know, differentiate here between software and and software as a service, because with software as a service, you're you're accessing, I guess I should say, subscription by so- of software and software as a service. Because with a with a SaaS model, you're subscribing to a tool that largely you're going to access in your web browser. It's not downloadable standalone software that you get. But that has for a long time been a subscription model. It's always been primarily on you can either buy it on the monthly basis or, or, or have a flat fee for the, uh, for the year, which is, uh, but you're still subscribing to that product. And I'm personally not aware of other software products that operate on this same model. I'm sure that there probably are some that are, that are doing that. But, but you know, when, when you talk about what, what you did with the Microsoft program, I, I did the same thing on a much lesser scale. I, I just kind of wanted the, the free version of Office or a, a, a cheaper version of Office. But the, the one thing that I didn't mention about, uh, about Office 365 is that in addition to that $100 a year, you're actually able to install that on five different computers. You can, you can take that software and install it on five computers. And if I was making a, a, a relative argument, you know, past versions of, of my, my recollection, and Dennis, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but my recollection of past versions of Office is that you could install it on two computers, your work computer and your home computer, and that was it. And now you can, your, your ability has 
more than doubled. And, and you know, if you want to look at some raw numbers, you say that that's really bringing the cost per user down to, uh, to maybe $50 a year, which puts it in line with what Google's charging for what I think is a vastly inferior suite of tools for, uh, for dealing with documents and spreadsheets and, and, and email and stuff like that. I, I like Google. I use the Google products all the time, but, but when I want to get serious work done, I'm still going to use the, the office products. Now, I see, I see, that as, I see the, the license issue as being an advantage. I see the unlimited upgrades as being a huge advantage. The cloud storage is clearly an advantage. Being able to, if you want to take advantage of that cloud storage, accessing it anywhere. If I think of disadvantages, I think that really this type of setup, that uh, software by subscription, is, is, is really not going to be of use to people who don't upgrade very often. I know a lot of people who are hanging on to older versions of software. My, my, my father uses Quicken, and he is terrified every time they come out with a new version because they add about 6,000 new features to it, and he doesn't want to learn all those new features. So he is doggedly hanging on to an older version of Quicken. And I think that subscription products like this are not going to be for, for those people. And then I think that the other major disadvantage is, is that I really happen to think that this is the way that we're moving. And more and more software companies are going to go to a model like this, which means there probably isn't going to be a lot of choice left in terms of whether you want to have software the regular way or you want to have it by subscription. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, on the, the advantage side is that it's and this is similar to software as a service or the cloud services is that it's reduced capital cost so you know basically the, your software becomes a utility cost you know you're paying so much per month you know what that is it's a lot less than you know buying licenses for photoshop especially with the the expensive software so i th- i think that notion of turning software into a utility is an attractive thing i think that you do have this lock in though, because you know what like I said, once the subscription is once you want get out of the subscription, you basically are going to be uninstalling the software and and will need to to do do something else. I think there are other potential advantages that we you know I agree with you, Tom, on some of those things. I think that that sort of regular updates though is is a great thing, and I have a hard time understanding these days people staying on really old versions, so it's kind of hard for me to talk about that because it's become so foreign to the to the way that I think and, and the, the way that I do things. And then I got to agree with you that if half a million to a million people have already done the Adobe thing and we see the interest and maybe the numbers in Office 365, I think we are going to see, see other people uh, doing that. And we may just be moved in that direction. I don't know, Tom, do you have some thoughts about, you know, whether people should sort of experiment with this or are there ways to get ready for what we think might be happening or might this just be a time to to look more closely at the cloud service services as well i, I guess the other advantage now that i'm saying that time is that on the subscription the software subscription side is that the software is on your on your computer so you don't have to have access to the internet and if you know if you don't have an internet connection you don't have the same issues you might have with the cloud service no i agree and you know we we kind of looked at, at, at ideas before this podcast. So I've been kind of thinking about, you know, how to think about and prepare for what appears to be a growing trend. And, and I hate to say the way of the future, but, 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 but we think many companies are probably going to start going to this model. And really preparing for it is, is a mindset issue. And the mindset issue, I think, 
the more I think about it, it comes down to cost and whether you're willing to look at it as, like you say, a capital expense instead of purchasing a new car every couple of years. You're, you're buying this as, as part of your, your overhead that, that has to be, that maintains your practice. And so I, I really say, take a look at how you're using your current software like Microsoft Office. Decide what makes the most sense to you at this point in time. I really think that it's going to come down to cost. What's going to, what's going to cost more when you take into consideration the number of license you currently have, your current upgrade costs, whether the cloud features offer any services beyond what you might already have. It may not make sense now, but it might make sense in the future. And I, and I think that you need to at least be preparing. People need to at least be preparing for the possibility that options are going to start to decrease for traditional software in many different areas as, as we're moving this direction. Dennis, any final thoughts before we go out of this segment? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a trend. I mean, we used to, you know, think about buying software in a box off a shelf and, you know, having the disk for it and, and stuff. And, and things have changed over time. And I, I think this is, is definitely one way that it's, it's going to change. And, it, and I agree with you. You look at the cost and you say, what, what money do I need to come up with now? Is, is a subscription approach a good way to, to spread that cost out over time? And then does it help me manage, you know, the software that I have, you know, so I don't get in a situation where I have a bunch of software that I, or software licenses that I bought that are just sitting around being unused that maybe I can, you know, this subscription may give me a way to, to have the exact number of, of licenses that I need and to add, you know, add and subtract as I need on a, on a you know, a sort of just-in-time basis. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Hi, this is Amy Thompson with Legal Talk Network, and we're talking with Jim Sherhart of Connected Data about their product named Transporter. Jim, how does Transporter help attorneys? Transporter is for attorneys who want to use cloud services like Dropbox, but don't because of privacy concerns. Transporter gives the convenience of cloud services plus 100% privacy and full control over where confidential information is physically stored. It shares files with colleagues, syncs between computers, makes off-site backups, or gives remote access using a PC, Mac, iPad, or iPhone. Learn more and see how attorneys are using Transporter at www.filetransporter.com forward slash KMR. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Believe me, I'm still in denial that Google Reader will actually go away on July 1st, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they're going to change their minds and it'll be back. But I have been thinking, despite my level of denial, that about how to back up or get copies of, of data I have in Google and other cloud services, not just Google Reader. I also wrote a column recently on backing up your social media for the ABA Journal. So I think probably the big thing that you need to know in this area these days is something called Google Takeout. Tom, what, what is Google Takeout and why should people care about it? You know, it's funny because the night that Google Reader announced, their Google, announced that Google Reader was going away, you and I were online commiserating with each other, mourning, raging, whatever you want to call it. And, and the first thing that we did was we went straight to Google Takeout to, to see how hard it would be to... Uh, to download all of our feeds and all of our, our news sources from Google Reader. And I found it surprisingly very simple to do. It was a very easy process. And, and I have to, Google's motto in the past couple of years has been do no evil. And, 
they've started to stray across that line a little bit every now and again. But I think they've been really particularly sensitive to users being able to keep their own data, whether it closes down a service or whether you just decide you don't want to use the service anymore and, and, and take your stuff and go and use a different service. Back in 2011, Google created what they call the Data Liberation Front, which if you go to the website dataliberationfront.org, I think that's the name of it, it doesn't even really look like a Google site. You have to kind of read it to understand that it's done by Google. And, and it initially provided some instructions on how you could get your data out of any Google service, any, any product by Google, or, or even get your stuff into Google if you wanted to move into a Google product. And, and this year, the Data Liberation Front created its, its first product, which is, as you say, Google Takeout, which allows you to get information into and out of multiple Gmail services at once. And it, and it provides it to you in a format that makes it really easy to import or move it to other places. And I, I'll give an example. This afternoon, preparing for the podcast, although I'm not a heavy Google Doc user, I have a decent amount of documents up there. I, I use the service to download all of my documents and Google Takeout kind of does an analysis uh, of what you have. It told me that I had 169 documents and uh, the size of that was about 26, 28 megabytes of data. And then it let me configure my download. It let me select uh, whether to download the entire Google Drive, to download only top-level folders. I could specify what format I wanted for my documents, for my spreadsheets, for my presentations, drawings, for the forms that I have. Once I figured all that out, I pressed start and literally it created an archive in less than 15 seconds. I had a zip file with all of my documents. Now, you can't download everything with Google Takeout, but most of the major services, Google Drive, uh, YouTube, Google Voice, Picasa, there are, I think, 13 total services that you can download from. So if you, if you happen to have your data up there, I think it's really pretty interesting. I think there are a number of services out there, and I know you talked about backing up your social media, Backupify is a service that is one that will back up your cloud services um, for you. But I think Google Takeout is, is one of the few that actually gives you your information back. Yeah, I, and I think this is really a, a, a great thing. And it's, it's something that's evolved over the years. So I, I think if you go there now, people are going to be pretty happy with what they see. I mean, it's, it's not always been as good as, as what you see now. But you do have a lot of options. There are a lot of things that you can you can back up. A lot of ways to figure out how you want that information. And I think some of it is you know more easy to use later, but I sort of think of it as a backup. So when we pulled the stuff out of Google Reader, it comes in a format that I'm really not sure exactly if I'm how I'm going to be able to use that. It, it will take some work to figure out and maybe like a third party app to figure out how to really make that useful. So I'm not really sure that I'll be using it, but it's sort of nice to have it in that so I I might be able to import it into into another another service if if Google Reader actually goes away. The other thing I noticed about was I, I got a, an email from Google recently, this is sort of a blast from the past, saying that uh, they were making available way, and, and I think this is through Google Takeout as well, but it, it, they consolidate these things, but a way to, uh, I could get my, whatever data I might have in, in uh, Google Buzz, I could, I could back that up and get that out. It's it <laughs> right. sort, sort of this interesting thing, because it does make you realize that with Google, they've had some services that 
you did some stuff in that have gone away. So part of this is they are reminded you of the, the, the sort of how transient some of the Google services can be. But as that sort of great all-in-one place um, to back up data, it's a good model. And, and I would hope to see like other of the, the sort of web 2.0 type services offer, offer some things along those lines. And, and those are out there. I mentioned a few things in my column, like you said, um, backupify and then also just the tools built into LinkedIn, Facebook, and, and, and the other social media services. So there are some things out there. So it's not as, um, there wasn't much even a few years ago for backing things up. So it's been a nice trend to see how this happened. And, and, you know, my hat's off really to, to Google on, on, on takeout. Cause I, it is a great all in one, you know, one-stop shop to, to get your data. Well, you know, there, there've been stories um, over the past couple of years about services that have shut down that have been, uh, you know, less, less forthcoming than, than Google about how to get your documents back. You know, companies that are just shut down in the dead of night and, and people can't get any of their data out to, uh, to others that make it very difficult to get it out. And I, I really hope that, that companies begin to follow this type of model. And, and, you know, you and I've talked about this for years, that whenever you use a tool on the internet, one of the questions you need to ask is, how easy is it for you to get that data in and out of the tool? And that really should be something that you think about. And I think Google's really, you know, they're walking the talk now about, uh, about making a service really useful to, to its users. Okay, now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I'm going to actually stick on the Google uh, Love Fest here, and I'm going to talk about Google Fonts. Did you know that Google has its own set of fonts? Now, if you just go to google.com slash fonts, you can get access to, it looks like about 600 and well, over 600 font families. So there are multiple fonts, but, but 600 and so font families. They're primarily web fonts. They're, you know, they, they, Google says it's designed to help make your website look good. They have now an agreement with fonts.com where you can get access to over 20,000 different fonts. And I, as far as I can tell, it's all for free. You're not going to pay any money for it. You may need to pay for certain fonts that, that go in there. I haven't really done a ton of exploring on it, but if finding fonts for either your blog or your website or just fonts that you want to use for a word processing program, um, being able to use them through Google or through fonts.com, I think is a, is a great new resource. And I have, I have two that are sort of go back in history, Tom. So one is, is I noticed the return of, of netlawtools.com as a blog. And so netlawtools is, uh, is Jerry Lawson's blog. And Jerry Lawson is just so pivotal in, in my history of using the internet and being on the internet and a lot of the early uh, days of, of lawyers using the internet. So it's great to see Jerry back posting things again. So netlawtools.com. Just a, I, I don't know that there's ever been anybody smarter about how to use the internet uh, by, by lawyers. So that's one. The other one is, and I know Tom will get a chuckle out of this, but my favorite TV show ever was a science fiction show called Babylon 5. And this is the <laughs> 20th anniversary year for Babylon 5. And, and so I recently found that uh, they had a big cast reunion uh, f with the the creator of the show and a lot of people involved from the Phoenix Comic-Con. And if you go on YouTube, there's about between an hour and a half and two hours, I guess, of, of video with questions and, and the cast and, and the people involved talking. And 
if you liked uh, Babylon Five as I did, is is just just a great way to spend a couple hours uh, thinking about a great show. And if you haven't if you haven't ever watched Babylon Five, it's a five year story. But I if you if you're looking to take on a big TV sort of epic sweeping TV story on you know using Netflix or something. This is one I recommend that you try that I think really does stand the test of time. And considering how long you've been talking to me about Babylon 5, it, it clearly must stand the test of time because I can't remember when we haven't talked about Babylon 5 uh, here. So very good. It's, if, if I were a Babylon 5 fan, this looks like something I would, uh, I would want to go watch. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. Our archives of previous podcasts are still available in iTunes and on the Legal Talk Network website. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating the podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.